You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Rachel and Gabby's upcoming season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 280. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Great show for you this week. We've got the butler from Joe Millionaire, Martin Andrew, on the show. A lot of you asked for him when Joe Millionaire was being covered. Well, now you got him. So we'll get to him momentarily. Before that, though, we've got a lot to get to in terms of The Bachelorette, because you haven't heard from me since last Friday, and I'll give you a reason as to why that you know, nobody knows. It's kind of a personal thing, but I'm moving, uh, not moving very far, moving about five minutes from where I live right now, but I'm moving. So you all know how moving is so many things. You got to get coordinated, change of address, bills, call a mover, start, you know, throwing out trash, start boxing stuff. So while I have been given information about the bachelorette for the past week, I haven't been giving it out as I've gotten it just because I've been so swamped with other stuff. I was just like, I'll just wait till the podcast and the column next Thursday. And that's Uh, what you're going to get today. But obviously, there's been a lot of stuff because when it was announced that Gabby and Rachel would both be our bachelorettes this season, and it's not going to be a Caitlin Britt situation where the guys choose who their bachelorette's going to be on the first night and, you know, Britt went home. This is two bachelorettes throughout the whole season. So when that was announced, the biggest question I got, the biggest question you saw all across social media was, how are they going to do this? What is it going to be like... Joe Millionaire was, or is it going to be like the international versions of the show or double shot at love or whatever? The bottom line is, and as I said it last week on the podcast and on my reels, is that we just don't know. Until filming started, we just don't know how it was going to go because this is the first time in 46 seasons, this will be the 47th season of this show, that they've had a double lead for the whole season. So we just didn't know until filming got started. Well, filming got started last Saturday, and I've come here to answer some of your questions based on what I've heard so far. There has been, you know, there's some things I want to put to rest right now. Um, Immediately when it was announced two bachelorettes, there was gossip going around that each girl would get her own season within a season. That's wrong. Gossip that there wouldn't be a first night rose ceremony. That's wrong. Gossip that there would be only four hometown dates and each girl would only get two. That's wrong. So I, you know, I know a lot of people want to throw guesses and assumptions and predictions out there, but I mean, I I don't know what to tell you. Every time someone puts something out out there, whether it's an Instagram account or a podcast or a gossip monger on on TikTok, immediately I get sent all the information of, hey, this is what they said. Is it true? And it's just like, it's kind of frustrating, but I know there's nothing I can do about it. People are going to come to me when people, other people say things that don't really have a track record on spoiling anything. And they say, oh, there's not going to be a first rose ceremony. Well, there was last Saturday night. Um, You know, I don't know where the four hometown date thing came from. Someone said that uh, somebody put that out there. No idea where that came from. That's wrong. So we're going to get to those in a minute. But I do want to talk about what I posted last Friday. And that was that Connor the Cat, Connor Brennan from Katie's Season and Paradise was going to be on The Bachelorette this season. Obviously, a lot of you saw his response on Twitter to that post. 
also him being in attendance last Saturday night down in San Diego at Hunter's 15-year sobriety party. Clearly, Connor is not on this season. That information was wrong. I made an assumption off some information that was given to me, and it ended up being wrong. Take full responsibility for that. And it's just crazy because, I mean, even as I sit here today, I'm still like, wow, I really thought that information was strong and Connor was going to be on this season. And I probably should have waited until after Saturday and I started hearing stuff and asked around, is Connor on this season? Obviously, if I would have seen him post Saturday down in San Diego. So that was my mistake. I should have waited till after filming started just to be sure and I would have realized he wasn't on. But yeah, the information I was given made me believe that he was. I only reported what I believed to be true. It, It's not like I was throwing it out there to get clicks or anything like that. And look, I have absolutely nothing against Connor at all. Like, I didn't even... The thing was, when I posted that, I didn't offer an opinion. I just said, Connor's going to be on the season. I didn't say, why what the hell, you know, what a loser, why is he going back, of all the people. Like, I didn't offer any opinion whatsoever other than I just reported what I believed to be true, that he was going to be on the season. Then Connor started getting a lot of hate from people, and somehow that turned into it was my fault. I understand the information I posed was wrong, but yeah, if I would have posed it with, what the hell, this guy sucks, what a loser, why is he going back, we've seen enough of him, then I can see where the negative sentiment towards him could have been attributed to me. But I didn't say anything of that because, honestly, I didn't care if Connor was on or not. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter to me either way. I was just reporting information that I believed to be true. There's one thing to report stuff you know not to be true and still report it anyway. And I don't do that. Everything I report, I believe to be true. Clearly not everything I've ever reported in my life has been has been right. We know this. But when I start getting stuff sent to me like, you have lost all credibility, you piece of shit. Stop ruining people's lives and find something actually meaningful to do and maybe get a new face because you're ugly as fuck. I got that sent to me. And I had this one sent to me. This is a total lie and causing people to bully and shame him Take this down. How dare you? At the very minimum, ask people not to be such trolls. He's human and doesn't deserve the hate he's getting because of you. It's your fault. Look, I don't understand the hate that he got just because I said he was going to be on the show either. I actually thought people liked Connor. I mean, obviously, I get it. Everybody in this franchise has people that don't like them and people that do. But I was shocked to see that. And it wasn't until after, you know, I realized, okay, he's not on the show. But I'm sorry. I mean, I've looked at it, and I and if I'm wrong, I will admit that I'm wrong. You know this. I've done it God knows how many times. But you're acting like I led this giant campaign. I put out this reel and the tweet that I believed that he was going to be on the season, and he wasn't. It's not like I just kept it up and said, oh, Connor had the first date, and I was just so off. I was wrong. The information I was given was wrong, but to... To, to turn it into this is my fault that he was getting hate, look, I can't control what fans say. I I can't. I think in the situation, if I were to have followed up with Connor's going to be on the Bachelorette season, what a loser, I can't believe he's doing this, 
I could see then how my opinion would then sway others to jump on his case. I never did that. I don't know Connor. I know only thing I know about him is what we see on the TV. It does not matter to me if he was on or not. Either way, I was just reporting what I believed to be true. It ended up not being true. It's unfortunate. I'm sorry that people jumped all over him. But if you're telling me that I have to control the trolls, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I've said this for the last three or four seasons. That's why, that's why I call it Toxic Bachelor Nation. I can follow up every single thing that I post with, please don't attack these people. They're human. Please don't send them death threats. It won't matter. Trolls are going to do what trolls are going to do. You can't blame me when I didn't even say anything negative about the guy, and I don't have anything negative to say about the guy. I can't control the trolls. It's impossible. People are going to say what they want to say. Was I surprised that he got such a bad... um, He got such bad attacks from people just because I said he was going to be on the show? Yeah, because it was so nondescript. Like, hey, Connor's going to be on the show. I mean, but it wasn't like this, now go get him. Now go attack him and tell him how stupid he is for going back. You know, I I mean, I don't know what else to say, but he's not on the show. The information I was given made me believe that he was going to be. He's not, period, end of story. Let's move on. Now, let's get to this information regarding the format of the show. You know, when it was being reported by somebody out there that uh, each girl was going to be getting her own season, I'm not even sure what that what, what that would have meant. I, I, I think maybe they were saying that, like, right from the get-go, Rachel would have her own set of men and Gabby would have her own set of men and they'd be confined to those guys all season. Like, they could only give roses to the guys that they had given roses to on night one, I guess. Well, whatever the case, that's not it. It is more free-flowing than that. It is the guys that are there are open to both of them. And if they like, if both of them like one guy, they're going to have to work that out. If one guy is into both of them, they're going to have to work that out. And eventually he's going to have to make a decision because clearly they're not going to get down to final rose ceremony day. And one guy is going to choose between the two of them. I, I don't see that happening. But if any of you saw Joe Millionaire that was just on that we covered and we're speaking to the butler from Joe Millionaire today, you know this can work. It's not like they have to be pit against each other. Steven and Kurt, the two bachelors that were on Joe Millionaire, were never pitted against each other, and they were basically dating the same women. When they had a group date, it was the two of them, and they would be on the group date, and then they would get, you know, after-party time on the group date, and each one would pull women over, and each one would get time with the same person at, at some times, you know? So... This can work, and that's going to be the format. It's not their own season. It's not Rachel has her own set of men after night one, and Gabby has her own set. Not the case. Was there a first night rose ceremony? Yes, there was. I don't know all the eliminations, but uh, I was told it was not your usual seven or eight, I believe. It was fewer than that, probably because they have two women, and they wanted to keep a, a few more around. But the most they could have started with this season is 33 because they released 35. All of them have been identified on my Instagram feed. And as I posted last week, I think on Saturday I posted that Coy and Corbin were definitely cut before the season started. They didn't even make it to night one for whatever reason, obviously. Production has a myriad of reasons why they cast 
they bring X amount and only a certain amount get on. So 33 is the most. There might have been somebody else who was cut before. I don't know cuts and eliminations just yet, other than I know Coy and Corbin didn't make the first night. But there was rose ceremony eliminations because there was a rose ceremony the first night. I just don't know who, but I heard it wasn't a lot. Now, the format. The format in past seasons, before travel began, when you had one lead, is there'd be two group dates and a one-on-one. And then once travel started, the lead would get two one-on-ones and a group date. Now, for episodes two and three in L.A., which are the first dates of the season, because episode one is night one with the limo entrances and the rose ceremony, I can tell you that it's one group date, and then each woman gets a one-on-one. The group date was on Monday. It rained heavily in L.A. I believe um, whatever they had planned was moved inside. Rachel's one-on-one was on Tuesday. Gabby's was yesterday, and rose ceremony number two is tonight. I don't know who was on those dates yet. I have heard who it possibly could have been, but again, I you know I don't post stuff until I get some sort of more solid confirmation. Um, but when I do, I'll let you know. So season started filming Saturday night. Group date on Monday. Uh, they all moved into the mansion on Sunday. Group date on Monday. Uh, Rachel's one-on-one was on Tuesday. Gabby's was yesterday. Rose ceremony number two is tonight. Then tomorrow, there will be another group date with a one-on-one on Saturday, a one-on-one on Sunday. Rose ceremony number three will be on Monday, and then they leave for Europe on Tuesday. So last week, I had addressed the fact that there was an email going around about Virgin Voyager, this Virgin Cruise Line that was apparently bought out by an American television show and... You know, people had jumped on the conclusion that this must be The Bachelorette. And I said, I haven't heard it yet. I haven't heard anything that it is The Bachelorette or that it isn't. It could be this new Love Boat show. Well, I have got it confirmed. The Virgin Voyage Cruise is being used for The Bachelorette this season. And here's what's going to happen. After next Monday's rose ceremony on April 4th, they will um, go and... Go to Europe. As I mentioned last week, the one place I knew they were going this season was France. They were going to Paris. So what I've been told is, I'm assuming, since I don't think a boat is leaving L.A. to go to France, they will fly to Europe and they will fly into uh, the U.K., Portsmouth. And then from Portsmouth, they will all board the cruise line, cast and crew. They will get on the cruise line and they'll go from Portsmouth and they're going to dock in France. Now, they're going to dock at a place, it's spelled L-E-H-A-V-R-E. They're going to dock there. And so, since I didn't want to, I needed to look this up. Like, how do you pronounce that? Because I didn't take French. I've never been to France. I took Spanish in high school for two years. That was almost 30 years ago. Um, So, I wanted to figure out how to pronounce that, and this is what I came up with. How do you go about pronouncing it? In French, in France, we would say it as Le Havre. Of course, the H is silent in French. Le Havre. But it'd be fine in English to say it as Le Havre. Le Havre from French. Le Havre. So they will be leaving UK Portsmouth, cruising over to France and docking at Le Havre. Le Havre. Like, I almost like the French pronunciation better than English. English just sounds like somebody's drunk. 
Le Havre, Le Havre, France. That's where they will be docking. From France, they are going over. They will then take the cruise to Belgium. And again, uh, they're going to B-R-U-G-E-S, Belgium. And of course, me, with no accent whatsoever, never been to Belgium. I'm like, oh, they're going to Bruges. 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 No, it's Bruges. They're going to Bruges. So from France, they're going to Bruges, Belgium, and then they're going to Amsterdam. So what's going to happen from everything that I've been told is the cast and crew are staying on the ship. The dates will take place on the mainland. The dates will take place in France, in Bruges, and in Amsterdam. But then at the end of the night, everyone's staying on the ship. They're not basically not staying in hotels when they go to these different countries like they always have for 46 seasons. They're staying on the cruise. So interesting. I'm sure there will be a lot of drama on the cruise and the cruise ship and what's going on there. But uh, yeah, that's those are the three locations in Europe. And then um, I, I don't think there is a fourth location. So there isn't going to be seven episodes before hometowns. I believe there's only going to be six. So they're going to France, Belgium, and Amsterdam. I don't know overnights and find a road somewhere in any location just yet. But those are your three European trips before hometowns. Now, as for the gossip that, oh, there's going to be only be four hometown dates and each woman is going to get two, that's wrong. What's going to happen is I don't know exactly how many hometown dates there are. However, on the day there are hometown dates, which is going to be just by looking at a calendar, end of April, on the day that Gabby has a hometown date, Rachel will have one as well with somebody else in a different location. They're going to have split crews. So it's not going to take, let's just say each woman got four hometown dates. It's not going to take two and a half weeks because they got to film Rachel's and then Gabby's and then take a day off. Then Rachel's and Gabby's and day off. No, Rachel and Gabby are going to film their hometown dates on the same day with a split crew assuming that all three or four of their final hometown dates are different men, which maybe there is one that they share. And then that one, there will be one for each of them. But so, yeah, so that's why filming is not going to take any longer than it would on a normal season, because, you know, on a normal season, when there's one lead, it's hometown day off, hometown day off, hometown day off, hometown rose ceremony. This one's going to be the same thing, but, Let's say Rachel has a hometown in Florida and Gabby has a hometown in, I don't even know, I'm just making up state, South Carolina. They will both be happening on the same day. It's just they split up the, uh, they have a split crew this season to do it. So this notion that they're only getting two each, not true. Don't know where that came from. Don't know why anyone said that, but it's definitely not true. So that's where we're at um, with information I can give you. It's, I know it's a lot. Um, it's all going to be in written form on my website, but, uh, yeah, basically the format while in LA, instead of two groups and one, one one-on-one, it's two one-on-ones. Each of them get one and a group date that they're both on. And they're going to the three locations. They're going to France. They, they would on the cruise though. They're taking a cruise from England to France. They're not filming in England. France is going to be episode four. Filming in France and then on to Belgium and then on to Amsterdam, all on a cruise. And then 
by that point, the ending four, three, four men for hometowns is going to be established. I don't know how many they're doing for hometowns this year. I just know they're doing a split crew and that they're each getting filmed on the same day. So, uh, and then there is a rose ceremony night one, as I mentioned, but not as many as it has in the past. Usually they eliminate, what, seven to eight? They go from like 30 down to 22 or 23. I've heard it wasn't that mu- that many, but there was a rose ceremony on the first night. So that's what I got for you right now. Obviously, I will keep you updated. As I said, these next two weeks are pretty hectic for me. I'm moving, and it's the worst. There's nothing worse in the world than moving, and I haven't moved in nine years. So I'm totally not ready for this. I don't want to do it, but things happen. So um, I'm staying in the area that I like. Uh, I I really like uh, the new house I'm moving into, Um, but the concept of moving and throwing stuff out, I'm just taking it one day at a time, going into each room of mine and doing trash and then boxing stuff up and just uh, it's the worst. And then getting everything else handled outside of it, changing my address for everything and all that stuff already already ordered a new driver's license i got my movers i got cable taken care of i got internet taken care of i got a few deliveries being made some furniture stuff yeah so we're all set moving april 13th and um oh the other thing that doesn't help is i'm gonna be in california next weekend so from the 7th to the 11th i'm gonna be out of town and then i come back and i have two days before i move so a lot going on the next two weeks but i'll give you what i can on um on um social media on twitter on my reels, on my Instagram stories, and on my Instagram feed. So uh, look for that. But without any further ado, let's get going. You know him, you love him. The butler from Joe Millionaire. It's Martin Andrew. You're going to like this guy. Podcast number 280. All right, let's bring him in. He was the butler on this past season of Joe Millionaire, a man we all came to know and love throughout the season. It is Martin Andrew. Martin, how are you? I'm very well, and how are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Um, I, I want to start out with you with kind of how I start out with everybody. You know, contestants pretty much all had the same story of how they got cast, basically got hit up through Instagram. How about someone like you in this position? I It, it seems like Instagram wouldn't be a way that they would reach out to you. How did you get cast for this role of Martin the Butler? Well, to be honest, I didn't even have Instagram uh, before the show. Um, no, it was completely different for me. I, um, there was a, an app that I was using called Backstage for a variety of different things uh, within the entertainment industry. And um, during the, the course of the pandemic, um, there was no live entertainment, which is something I do. So I was just looking for auditions for you know voiceover work, whatever was out there. And uh, on the app, uh, an ad came up for this, this gig as a uh, butler with an English accent. And I thought, well, I, th- I think I could probably do that. So I sent in uh, my reel, so to speak, and uh, away we went. Do you know if there was a bunch of Martins that you were up against? Or was this kind of a smaller, like, hey, once we got your stuff, they kind of zoned in on you? No, it, I think there was quite a few people in the running mm. uh, for it. Um, I don't want to get into who they were. But um, I know it was uh, what I was thought was pretty neck and neck for a while with myself and, and somebody else that were trying to make a decision on it. Um, so there was multiple interviews um, through Zoom and, um, you know, a variety of conversations with different people involved with the production. And I was just very happy at the end of all that to be offered the position. 
had you ever done any sort? I know you've done some acting. Um, it's on your IMDb page. Had you ever done anything in the reality TV realm before? No, nothing. <laughs> no, everything prior to that had been uh, scripted work, uh, be it in the theater, film, or television. It was always. I mean, I've done improv, you know, things like that, some comedic improv and, and stuff. So, but actual reality television. I had a very um, sort of small understanding of what it was all about because I wasn't really a, a reality guy. You know, I didn't sit and watch reality shows. Um, I was always pretty busy, you know, doing my own stuff, shows, whatever else. It just wasn't something – I didn't watch a lot of television, period. Um, but that wasn't a genre that I really got into. In interviews you've done and articles that were written about you, uh, probably my favorite thing, and maybe people know it by now because you've done a few since the season has ended – um, it's been mentioned that you are the lead singer for a Rod Stewart cover band. I've seen uh, some YouTubes of it. I think it's hilarious. I think it's great. I never would have guessed that from you. Um, how long have you guys been doing that? And is it still going on? Is this is this? Are you guys gigging like every other weekend or something like that? What was going on? I mean, I've done that for the last sort of twenty years. Mm. Not so much. A, I mean, I have bands, obviously, but it's mainly um, just myself impersonating the character of Rod Stewart, but I sing live. Um, at the time, I wasn't wearing a wig. I, my hair was blonde, <laughs> and this is this real hair, so it was just my regular hair and everything. Now, the shows I have to do now, I have to buy a, a wig to look like I used to look like before. But uh, no, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing. I just did two shows, two sellout shows here in Las Vegas, which were fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, still, it's still going. It's just I mean, everything since the pandemic slowed down. I was doing a lot of work with um, a lady by the name of Samira. She does Tina Turner. So we're doing like a Rod Stewart, Tina Turner show. And we were really building that quite nicely. And then, of course, what happened to the whole world? The pandemic came along and that sort of fizzled out. So um, it's just something, you know, since the show, I still get asked to do it. So I do it and it's fun. I enjoy the music. I enjoy portraying the character. I don't live my life pretending to be him. Far from it. But it's a, you know, it's a fun gig. And the strange thing is, looking like I do now, uh, with the dark hair, you know, people say to me, you don't look like yourself. And it, it makes me laugh because this actually is, this is my real car. But for so many years, I had the, the whole blonde look and everything. So, You know, I, I'm always curious about people that do impersonations uh, of others, especially celebrities, and if the celebrity has ever reached out or said anything. Have you ever gotten any feedback from Rod Stewart over this? None. None. Nothing. No. <laughs> short answer. I don't want to make it up. It's, oh, yeah, he's in touch. No. Um, no, not at all. I, I mean, I've met um, people who've worked with him. Like, uh, I was backstage at Caesar's Palace having seen his show uh, with his main guitarist. And we were chatting away and everything. And my understanding from people who do know him is that he, uh, he quite enjoys um, the impersonator thing. He thinks it's a lot of fun. And I think actually for one of his kids, he, he actually hired a Rod Stewart impersonator to impersonate him at a birthday party. I, was like, I wish he'd reached out to me for that, but he didn't. Yeah. Um, but no, you know, I, I've got no feedback from him. I'm just grateful, um, you know, that he's still going and he's done such a huge library of songs that there's tons to pick from. It's a character that people uh, seem to want to see. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun doing it, a lot of fun. So I want to get back to something you had mentioned when you were talking about getting cast for this role. There was, you know, someone else that they had um, in mind. And like you said, it doesn't matter who the person was. But I, 
my question to you was in reading articles about you, you have daughters the age of the women that were on this show. I don't know if the person or people that you were up against also did, but do you think that helped in in you landing this gig? I don't know. Uh, I mean, that's that's a difficult question to answer, really. It did come up in discussion. Uh, I mean, my, my daughters are actually a little bit older. I mean, one of them actually, the youngest, turns 32 tomorrow. Okay. Um, but but I've been through, like, the the age bracket that we had there, which I think Sarah was around 22, I think, and I think it went up to about 32. There was a 10-year thing there. So it was within that, you know, sort of area. But I'm, I'm not sure. Perhaps it did um, play a part in that because I'm very I'm passionate about my family, you know, and about my uh, daughter. I have a son as well, so I've got son, two daughters. The daughters keep getting mentioned because – uh, you know, all the, all the girls in the show, there's a, there's a son out there as well. So shout out to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think one of the most um, touching moments of the season, you've probably heard it. It's, it's the one that everyone talks about was the carnival date where Brianna got pretty plastered. I mean, it, she couldn't even stay on the swing and um, you know, you helped her off, you bring her to the tent and just the pep talk you gave her, was really cool and you just don't see that from hosts on reality television shows where did that come from was that just the father and you taking care of someone who was just really down that night it really was that was a very that was a long day and it was a crazy day um i spent a good part of that sitting in the control area uh where you know the producers are watching all the screens and what's going on and I, my jaw just dropped watching this the, the, the drama sort of playing out as the night went on. Um, and the sequence of events was actually, I, I talked to Brianna in the tent before we then went over to the, the, the carousel swing set thing. Um, but that was a, a, you know, again, I haven't studied other hosts and other shows and what they do, but I, that was just me. And it, it really, yes, I, you know, I'm Martin the Butler and it's an exaggerated version of me, basically Martin the Butler, you know, it's still me. And in that particular instance, um, the key thing for me there was when she said, uh, she just whispered, I'm ugly. And I was just heartbroken to hear her say that, you know, and it was like everything went away. And I was literally just um, being a, a fatherly figure and trying to encourage her and reassure her, um, you know, that she was a very lovely young lady. And I just wanted to, to be enjoying Everyone else is having a party, there's drama going on, but here she is in this tent alone. And clearly, you know, had a little bit too much to drink and very sad. And um, that was very unbearable. I didn't like that at all. So, yeah, it, it, I forgot about the cameras, forgot about everything else, forgot about the ear. But, you know, just strictly her and I and having a, a talk with her and trying to cheer her up, which I think I did to a degree. Then, of course, you know, I took it to the swing set and <laughs> all hell broke <laughs> Yeah, no, I, it was it was a very touching moment and just one you just don't see a lot when hosts don't get involved that much on reality television. And if they do, it's it's pretty surface level stuff that was pretty deep. And, you know, to really hit at a core of a woman who was really down and like you said, just saying that she's ugly. And maybe that was exaggerated on her end because she was drinking and she got a little overly, overly emotional. But still, the advice you gave and just to calm her nerves, I thought was really cool. And I really commend you for that. Um I wanted to move on to uh, to Stephen and and Kurt, and I've had yeah. them both on, and it, it seemed like a lot of people liked their bromance developed throughout the season. Um, they liked the interaction between the three of you. 
did, did you get a chance to know Kurt and Steven a little more before filming started, or was it pretty much right when the camera started rolling is when you got your time with them? I didn't meet either of them until they jumped out of a Rolls Royce and said hello. Hmm. That, was my, that was my first. I didn't know what they looked like, didn't know who they were. I knew nothing about them at all. Um, so the scene that you see in the first episode, when I'm out there, I believe I have my brolls and everything, um, when they, they came out, that's my first encounter. I had no knowledge. I, at that time, I didn't actually know who had the money, who didn't have the money, didn't know anything about them. Yeah. I, I, and I'm sure there were more conversations between the three of you. Uh, you know, obviously that wasn't shown because we only get an hour a week. How much did the guys lean on you for advice during the whole process? Hmm. Um, we did discuss things. You know, absolutely, we discussed things. But what I what I really had to do as well was make sure that, you know, I, I was there to obviously give a little bit of advice or anything and sort of help them out a bit. But I didn't want to influence them in any any way at all. Uh, th- this had to be their journey. Um, so much as I was perhaps a confidant to them, um, again, they'd be better to, uh, to answer that question. But I, I felt I, I was not there to influence them in any way. But if they were having a, a bad day or they weren't feeling so good about themselves, you know, I would maybe make a, a merry quip and cheer them up a little bit. Or if we were doing some activities, you know, we'd have some fun and sort of uh, a more sort of lighthearted atmosphere. And then they'd sort of get back into what they had to do. But I, I left them to discuss things. I mean, I was um, in the room in the, the butler's quarters there where the photographs were on the wall. Um, most times I was there in the wings kind of thing. And I would chat with them, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? How's your approach to this? Uh, that obviously wasn't shown in the episodes, but um, again, it was more to get them talking um, rather than me offering opinions and saying, Oh, I think this, or I think that. Did you ever give them advice that maybe, or even not even saying advice, but just in talks with them or helping them out? I was just kind of thinking like, did they ever, kind of do their own thing and not listen to you thinking that, you know, Oh, I'm young and smart and I have the, you know, I know everything pull that pull any of that. Or were they pretty receptive to even when you did offer even a little bit of advice, they were pretty receptive to it. I think they were receptive to what I had to say, but clearly as we all know, I mean, I think back to when I was their age, you know, <laughs> some guy dressed as a butler's telling me, Oh, you should do this in a, in a very funny accent. I'd be thinking twice about it, you know, yeah. uh, but they were very respectful. They'd listen to what I had to say. Um, but I think, and rightly so they, they ended up doing what they wanted to do. I, I suppose with Kurt, there was one time, a couple of times actually, where I said to him, you know, kind of just try and slow down a bit and take stock of what's going on here rather than focusing just in on one element um, that element being, I suppose, Carolyn in the early stages of the show. Um, and whether he listened to me on that or not is uh, open to interpretation. But uh, I did try to, you know, he, he had said at the very beginning, he falls very quickly, very hard sort of thing. And that really wasn't what the process was all about. It was, you know, give your time, give yourself time to evaluate uh, all these different characters that are here and, and, and move forward accordingly. What were your first impressions? I know you said right when they got out of the Rolls Royce was the first time you saw them and knew anything about them. How would you compare your first impressions of them when they got out of the Rolls Royce and maybe some prejudices or 
just some things that went into your head about what you thought these guys were going to be versus when filming ended, where you were at with them and how you felt about them. Well, before I go into the, it's not even negative, but my, my initial thoughts, they're both lovely guys. Um, but when, when Kurt first got out of the car, um, I remember seeing the infamous man bun. Yeah. And to my, dare I say, my generation, I was just like, what on earth has he got on the back of his head? What, what, what's going on here? This thing on the back of his head. I wasn't sure. I thought it was a sumo wrestler thing. I wasn't sure. And then I noticed as well that his, his trousers, and I, I, I've been criticized a lot for my trousers on this show, so I've got no room to talk, but his were a little bit shorter, and it appeared that he wasn't wearing any socks. Yeah. And that, that was my first thing was, he's got this bun on the back of his head, and, he, and he's wearing these slightly shorter trousers and no socks. How inappropriate. <laughs> you know, little silly little things. And then when uh, Stephen arrived, he got out, and uh, I just thought, my God, Goodness, this is the Hulk. I mean, he really is a big guy, you know what I mean? And um, I'm not saying he was intimidating, but, you know, he sort of swaggers over to you and everything. We had a little chat in the, the foyer when I said, oh, so would you be a cowboy? <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm a cowboy, all right. But, um, yeah, I mean, Stephen, um, I'm not sure if he, he liked me saying this or not, but he seemed a little, a little, little tense when he first arrived, which was extraordinary to me later on, knowing – later that he was the wealthy guy and everything. But um, if I had to make a decision on who was the, the wealthy guy straight off the bat, I'd have said Kurt. Hmm. You know, he got out and himself up and, you know, he definitely had a lot of uh, prowess about him. And uh, Stephen was definitely a lot more reserved in that initial meeting. And that's, I must say that's the initial meeting. But as time developed, I got on great with them and I love them both. I do. You, you mentioned the brief talk with Kurt where you were telling him to focus, you know, kind of open yourself up to the process because he seemed like he fell kind of early for Caroline. I've actually heard you, a clip was sent to me in an interview that you did on another podcast where kind of alluded to the fact that from the get-go, like Caroline was the one for him. And we saw that as viewers that he was gobsmacked by her uh, almost to the point of how how are we going to continue with this? He's so into Caroline. Were you worried that he wasn't going to give anyone else a chance? A little, yeah. Um, and it was. I mean, there's been various things said on various interviews by various different people, and everyone's allowed to their own interpretation of what they saw. But um, to me, what I saw there was that, uh, you know, there was definitely a bond initially between these two, between Carolyn, between Kurt. You know, as soon as they sort of set eyes on each other, there was a glint. There was something going on. And I think we, we all saw that in the show itself. And I think um, for both of them, it made it difficult. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, the girls, suppose they had a choice of two people. And if you think of it, the, the very first time they set eyes on each other, oh, well, Karen's like, he, yeah, that's my guy. Yeah. And he, and he locked into her. So all of a sudden you've eliminated all these other ladies and you've eliminated the other guy. So I thought it was a little bit um, tricky for both of them. Um, I didn't get a lot of time to spend with uh, Carolyn or the ladies for a lot of the time. I was kept kind of away from them unless it was just prior to, to filming something. But with the guys, I used, to, I used to see them in the mornings. A lot of that you didn't see, but I'd go up to the house and have a chat and we'd do you know, the little chin wag, as we call it. Um, so I think it was tough. I think it was tough for, uh, for Kurt. I really do. And for Carolyn. 
Yeah, it seemed it seemed like it was. So as as this is going on and you're you're knowing that these two are really into each other, then Amanda starts becoming a thing with Kurt and we kind of saw that this was going to be a Carolyn Amanda final two and this you know who is it going to end up being and you know the child thing came into play a lot with Kurt and Carolyn um obviously a lot has been said post show about that and and whatnot but when you're there and obviously you're not going to influence anything when it comes to who's going to pick who but when you got to that final day of choosing in your head, I'm sure you had a prediction of before one of the guys told you, maybe they did tell you beforehand, like, hey, I'm going to pick Carolyn or hey, I'm going to pick Amanda. And Steven said, hey, I'm going to pick Kala. But before they said anything to you, did you think that Kurt was going to pick Amanda over Carolyn? I, you know, it's funny, whatever way it appeared to be going, I always felt that something could happen right at the last minute. That's how electrifying that situation was um when the the um the ladies arrived at the manor for those final scenes i was aware who was who and what was going to be happening oh, okay but in the back of my mind was you know this this is and i i'd seen this throughout this show like real things were happening all the time i, I i've said before it's the realest reality show i think there's out there because it you just didn't quite know what was going to happen next and I thought right up to the last minute that he may just change his mind. You know, um, I just didn't know. I didn't know what was going to happen until, you know, I was prompted by a producer saying, okay, this is what went down and uh, Carolyn's on her way out. Um, but, yeah, right up to the finish line, it, for me, it could have gone either way. I just, you know, even though we kind of knew where it was going, I just thought that, you know, just maybe, you know, he'd, Changes mind at the last moment. I think a lot of us that watched the show, and when I spoke with both Stephen and Kala together, and then with Annie separately, they both Stephen and Kala understood the edit that the show got made it absolutely seem like Stephen was going to pick uh, Annie in the end. And Stephen and Kala are very well aware of the shock value that I think a lot of America had when he did pick Kala because it seemed like she was a a late comer, even though she was there the whole time. It just seemed like his relationship with her either didn't get shown enough, which is what they said. They had a lot of moments that that weren't shown, but they understood it's a television show. Um, it looked like they were going for some shock value. But, yeah, I was a little stunned that uh, he chose Kala over Annie and, you know, told them that. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, we know. We, we get it. Um, for you, did you see more of the Stephen Kala relationship that wasn't shown? I didn't see a lot of any of the relationship stuff. Mm. Uh, what you have to understand um, from my experience with the show, um, I would be, you know, called in to do the setups and arrangements for the various dates. So I would see all the ladies, as you see in the show, they'd be sitting on the couch or outside or whatever, and I'd discuss, this is what's going to happen today. And then it was literally a case of, off you go. And I wasn't privy to anything that was going on and I wasn't informed a lot of the time of what was going on with the, you want to call it the storyline per se. Uh, I, I just wasn't told. So I didn't see um, a lot of these things happening. You would hear little tidbits here and there of what's going on. But I, I was never there. I mean, the camping trip, I was there for that. Uh, where else was I? At the pool thing. I, 
I got so dressed up for that and it all got cut out. It was hysterical. But I was at the pool um, situation for a while. And um, what was it? The, the other one was the, the contest between um, Kurt and Steve, you know, when they were smashing watermelons, shirts off and all that sort of business. But the, the more um, quieter moments that they had with the ladies, I didn't see that. Hmm. So, you know, I, I can't really comment on the journey uh, and what it was like for the, the, the gentleman and for the ladies, uh, because I really wasn't privy to it. You know, this, it was a it was a fascinating show in that it was around, you know, in 2000, I think, three was the, the, the original. They had a second season, which didn't really match up. And then we go, you know, 18 years in between seasons. And all of a sudden, Fox springs this on us that we're, you know, we're bringing Joe Millionaire back. And it was always a show that people really got into back in early 2000 because that was the advent of reality TV. You could get away with fooling women into thinking, you know, oh, this guy's worth this much and whatnot. It seems like every iteration of a reality TV show has been done since then. So it was like I had been asked over the years, would Joe Millionaire ever come back? And, you know, they were able to pull it off because as I've spoken to all the contestants, you know, five or six contestants from this season, when they were being recruited for the show, it was, you know, they weren't being told they were going to be on Joe Millionaire and there was going to be two guys and one was going to be wealthy and one wasn't. They had to, they had to play it. They had to play around and make them think they were doing something different. With that said, and the success of this show that just aired, I know that and I know that nothing's been picked up uh, for a season two of Joe Millionaire, but we're still way early. I don't think it would be air until twenty twenty three anyway. But do you think it's even possible to be able to do this again without it leaking that you're going to be on the Joe Millionaire show? Um, I don't think it's an issue to be on the Joe Millionaire show um, because the, the premise of having, you know, a guy who one's rich and one isn't. So what, you know, you go on there, you still don't know who it is. So I, I don't really see that being an issue. And then there's all kinds of different ways they can do this and way above my pay grade. But I mean, you, you could have two rich guys. You could have two guys that don't have anything. There's, there's different ways you could have, uh, you know, uh, Jill millionaire or something like that. There's so many different ways of doing it. And, um, I think now the, the, the issue before, this is just my opinion, um, the original Joe Millionaire was a deception. Yeah. It was an out-and-out -out deception. Right? We can all agree with that. Um, and perhaps that's why they didn't want people knowing they were going on the show called Joe Millionaire because they may look at it, oh, all fake and this, that, and the other. But um, now that it's out, now that we've seen this new format, this new stylization, of a dating show, I don't see that it would ever be an issue for someone to know they're going on there with the premise being, you know, a richer or poorer. Yeah. Now that, sure. I think, now that I think about it, it makes more sense because now that the show is aired, you can cast for, Hey, we're doing a season two of Joe millionaire because it, it because yeah, they, they're going in knowing they're still not going to know as long as they don't no. know who the guy is and they can look him up before they arrive at the manor. Yeah. It should be able to, film a show and and be on Joe Millionaire. And I think, yeah, now that it's aired, probably does make sense that they can actually cast for it as opposed to telling the women this time they were going to be on a you know dating show called Love for Real and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I I mean, I think a lot of fans out there are, are hoping it gets picked up again because it was just a, it was just such a different. We hadn't seen this in so long. Uh, it was different. The two guys, like I said, the bromance between the two people. I mean, that's it's the biggest comment I got from a lot of the fans was I just love the banter between 
Stephen and Kurt, they got along well, and it was really cool to watch as opposed to, you know, two guys that were like fighting over women or being pitted against each other. And it was it was never that. It never was that. And I think that was absolutely refreshing <clears throat> to have have that on primetime television as opposed to all the cattiness and, you know, all, all that ridiculous drama that we sometimes see. Um, and again, being there, I was there, I watched it um, unfold. And that was a genuine bromance. And you could see it from night one. When those guys arrived, I mean, it was Kurt who came in first. And I remember saying to him, there's somebody else coming in. And he looked a little nervous on that. But, you know, as soon as those two met, my goodness, the chemistry. It was just like, yeah, this is going to be good. You know, this is going to be a good show. And um, I don't think a crossword was ever spoken between them. I really don't think there was. It was very, it wasn't fake. You know, some people have said to me, oh, that was just all for the cameras. Not at all. That's rubbish. Codswallop. You know, uh, they actually um, had that bromance and it's still blooming to this day, as far as I know. Well, yeah. And, um, you know, you talk about the cattiness, even through the women, there wasn't, you know, you had a, you had some squabbles here and there, but nothing like we've seen on other reality shows where you have 20 women in a house. It just wasn't even close. I mean, Carolyn and Amanda had their beef, um, but there didn't seem to be much else in terms of like, you know, Annie was competing against Kala and I don't remember them ever having words for each other or anything like that. It was just, it was, it was nice to, to finally get to a, a reality dating show that wasn't centered around the infighting in the house really wasn't. Again, it was just real emotions from real people. I mean, if you, you throw that many people together in this fantasy situation, this mansion, it just becomes this wonderful dysfunctional family. And um, all, all, the, all the ladies that were there, they were all individual. They were all their own characters, their own person, everything. I have nothing but the utmost respect for all of them. And one thing I said in the press, it just came out, uh, Martin the Butler's, you know, annoyed by what the some of the fans are saying about the ladies. And I want to qualify my remarks there. I think that as far as the actual show goes, you can have whatever opinion you like. You know, if you want to say, I don't think that she was very nice to Kurt and she said this, within the parameters of the show, I think that's fair game. And I believe that all the ladies and the gentlemen fully understood this going in, that whatever happens on there as part of the show, it's fair game. You may get negative, you may get positive. What I don't like and what does annoy me is when people go outside those parameters and start making assumptions about people's personal lives and whether they're a good mother or not and whether their parents like them or not and, and all this trash talk outside of the, uh, the show itself. So that's what annoys me um, because you're formulating an opinion on a television show where you're seeing the just a small part of somebody's life and it's just not fair to go after... Um, these ladies in particular to Carolyn to, you know, chase after her like this and say all these rotten things. I, I just didn't think that's appropriate within the parameters of the show. If you want to say, I don't think she was very nice to so-and-so this, that's fair game, fair game. But to go outside of that, I think it's a bit much. Yeah, no, it is. And it's just, it's, it's as great as social media is. That's the negative side of social media because anybody with an account can say anything. And outside of a, Outside of a public death threat, there's really no repercussions, and that's the problem. And that's what we have to deal with nowadays. And yeah, I, you know, in the shows that I cover, same exact thing. It's just, it turns into going outside of what we're watching on television. We have every right to sit there 
and make fun of and criticize somebody's actions, somebody's words on the show that we watch. But when it turns, when it turns personal and, you know, like you said, start calling Carolyn a bad mother because she said something on the show. It's just like that. They don't correlate. That has nothing to do with one or the other. I didn't, I didn't have any opinion in any way about Carolyn's, you know, how she was as a mother. Um, and then I started following Carolyn on Instagram post show and she looks like a great mother to me. She's always with her boy and just posting videos, doing a lot of fun stuff. And, you know, that's how I'm going to view it. And it just, but yeah, I, I know how people do it and it does suck. And there's, it sucks because there's also no way to stop it. It's no repercussions. That's, Outside of, like I said, something very serious on uh, on a public threat or something, but you know, it's nameless, yeah. it's nameless, faceless people behind a computer that feel they can get away with yeah. anything. But it's, it, you know, it's, it's it's shameful, it's hurtful, and it's just unnecessary. I mean, why go there? I mean, you know, you've got plenty to talk about within the framework of the show without going outside of that. It yeah. seems unnecessary. Yeah, it is. I hope it changes, but I hope we even have the ability to talk about this show. I hope it does get picked up for a second season. Obviously, we'll we'll be following along. Martin, I really appreciate you coming on, sharing your insight to the show. Um, it hadn't been on in 18 years. I'm glad it came back, and I'm so glad that everything went as well as it did because I think that could lend to a second season pickup, and I'm assuming if there is one, you will be our butler again. I'm looking forward to it. Um, fingers crossed, but again, appreciate you coming on and, th- and sharing your stories. Thank you very much indeed for having me on. Uh, hopefully we'll have multiple seasons to discuss. Yes, hope so. Thank you. Again. Thanks again, Martin. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to Martin for coming on. Really appreciate that. Fun guy. I love the fact that this guy literally does a rock Rod Stewart parody band, and he's the lead singer. You can look it up on YouTube. Just Google Andrew Martin Rod Stewart, and you'll find something on it. Pretty funny stuff. Um, and he brought up a good point that I just I never really thought about. Now that Real Millionaire is out there, it doesn't matter the next season, if they do have a next season, if they cast for it and say we're casting for Joe Millionaire because the secret, you didn't have to keep it a secret, you know, because the women aren't going to know who the men are going in anyway. So I really, um, really appreciated him coming on. It was a lot of fun. And I hope you all enjoyed that as well. Plus all, all of your bachelorette info at the beginning of the podcast, um, Again, just know I have nothing against Connor. I was given information that led me to believe that he was going to be on this season, and he's not. And that will be corrected as well. You know, it was corrected today, obviously, in this podcast, and it'll be corrected on social media as well. But yeah, I just, just wrong. But I wanted to make sure I gave you um, all the stuff that I had heard about this season filming. You know, like I said, crazy next couple weeks for me as I'm moving on April 13th. So. I'll get to stuff when I can. I'll be out of town next weekend, but, you know, we'll see. Um, and I did also want to mention uh, there are spots still available for the Reality Steve Fan Appreciation Party in Las Vegas on June 3rd, on June 3rd at Mandalay Bay. So if you're interested, just email me at steve at realitysteve.com. All I ask is for a screenshot of your Vax card, and that's it. That's your – and if you're flying in, a screenshot of your plane itinerary, your flight itinerary is is your admission into the – you get on the list and to come to the party, but anybody it's open to everybody. First come first serve. I got about 60% of the spots filled up. So 
Clearly, I can accept more people, whether you're coming out of town, whether you're driving in, whether you're a Vegas local, just email me at steve at realitysteve.com, and you could be a part of the party. It'll be fun. Open beer and wine bar for three hours. Going to have some prizes. Going to have food there. And just a way to thank everybody uh, for keeping Reality Steve in business, listening to the podcast, reading the website, following me on socials. That's all it is. It's a it's a party that I've had. I had five years in a row, and then COVID canceled it in 2020. COVID canceled it in 2021. So this is the first one we've had since 2019. So it'll be good to see everybody out there. Those that have RSVP'd, you're ready to go. And for anyone else that wants to join, like I said, email me at steve at realitysteve.com. Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. It's much appreciated. So for Martin Andrew, I'm Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week. See you!